Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 2. Greetings, America. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, and I'm so glad to have you here for the second hour of the show. The phone number is 877-973-7425. As always, if you text Eric, E-R-I-C-K, to 33777, you can get the links to follow me around social media, get the podcast, the live stream, the show notes, all of that. You should, in fact, subscribe to the daily email. Now, I got to return to the volcano. It's actually kind of interesting. I mentioned last week that in all of the press coverage of the remarkable heat wave in this country, that no one is talking about the Tongan volcano. Now, this is different from last year and even at the beginning of this year. In January of last year, the, and I love the name, the Hunga Tonga, it's like the Hunga Hunga Tonga, it's like the Hungry Hungry Hippo Volcano. Uh, It's an underwater volcano near the island of Tonga, exploded very forcefully, uh, launched a tsunami onto Tonga, um, just had a devastating impact. And at the time, scientists knew that it had blown a massive amount of water vapor into the stratosphere, and water vapor has a heating effect. And so scientists were warning all of last year and the beginning of this year that for the next several years, we're going to see hotter than normal global temperatures because of the volcano. But as the heat wave arrived in this country and around the world, Media outlets have abandoned honest coverage of what's happening in favor of man-made climate change, that that's to blame, that that we've reached the tipping point, that the predictions are true, they've all arrived, and now now we've got to do something immediately. They've ignored the volcano, and this is part of the progressive ethos of never letting a crisis go to waste, and progressives in the press have been the worst. Uh, my, my Twitter buddy, Ryan, who is a uh, PhD meteorologist, uh, climate scientist, he put up this tweet. This new Hungatonga research study and peer review is revelatory. Seriously, we need to consider the volcano as an unexpected decade-long natural warming spike. The greenhouse warming effect of 40 trillion gallons of water vapor in the stratosphere may have just kicked in in recent months and will persist For a peak of three to seven years, large areas of additional 1.5 degrees Celsius regional warming on top of El Nino and whatever else is going on. And there are clearly other things going on uh, within climate. But let me just read you this screenshot he put up. Volcanic eruptions typically cool the Earth's surface by releasing aerosols, which reflect sunlight. However, a recent eruption released a significant amount of water vapor, a strong greenhouse gas, into the stratosphere with unknown consequences. This study examines the aftermath of the eruption and reveals that surface temperatures across large regions of the world increased by over 1.5 degrees Celsius for several years, although some areas experienced cooling close to 1 degree Celsius. Additionally, the research suggests a potential connection between the eruption and sea surface temperatures in the tropical Pacific. Another reviewer says that uh, the volcano is going to have a profound effect on climate. 
including temperatures and participation, and will have an effect for the rest of the decade. The long-term service impact of the Hunga Tonga Hunga Hayape-like stratospheric water vapor ejection uh, is going to impact us for a long time. Now, a lot of times, again, this is worth noting when volcanoes erupt like Pinatubo and, and Mount St. Helens and others, they eject a lot of particulate into the atmosphere that reflects sunlight. This one was a subsurface volcano. When it exploded, it vaporized a lot of water and the pressure of the explosion pushed it directly into the stratosphere. And that causes warming. So again, this is very important for you to understand. The overwhelming number of news outlets out there right now pushing climate change stories and heat wave stories are totally and completely ignoring the volcano as the primary driver of what's happening right now. But more and more scientists are coming out and saying, in fact, that what's happening is the volcano. The first papers out suggested a slight warming trend. But as more papers came out and they realized the extent of the water vapor pushed into the atmosphere, the original estimate was like 10 to 20 metric tons. And now we're looking at 150 at most, maybe 40 trillion gallons of water vapor. That's a massive amount of water vapor. And you haven't gotten that from the press coverage. Now, I, and I don't want to be, the, be a broken horse here, but I, I, I noticed this in a story and a friend of mine sent me the screenshot, too. Uh, my local paper here, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, has a story today, completely unrelated. It's about hydrogen vehicles. But at the bottom, I'm seeing this more and more. It's not just my local paper. It's national papers as well. This is the disclaimer at the bottom. The coverage is supported by a partnership with One Earth Fund, the Kendita Fund, and Journalism Funding Partners. You can learn more about our climate reporting by donating. In other words, the authors, or the, the, the reason this story exists, is because it's being funded by climate activist groups. The Candida uh, Fund was established by uh, Diana Blank, the ex-wife of Arthur Blank, the Home Depot founder. Uh, this is the way Influence Watch describes it. The Candida Fund provides grant funding in key areas, international girls' rights, veteran healing, gun violence prevention, grants related to environmentalism and economic improvement in communities and community impacts on the environment. They fund a series of left-leaning groups, including uh, Frida, which endorses taxpayer-funded abortion, Population Media Center, which endorses abortion as a means of population control, and the Global Fund for Women, which endorses legalized abortion. Also, they fund the Center for American Progress, a leading liberal think tank that endorses gun control measures, and the Fund for a Safer Future, a gun control group, which provides money to a number of explicitly left-leaning groups, such as Media Matters for America. 
the People, Place, and Planet Initiative funds several key groups, including the Far Left Democracy Initiative, which endorsed the $90 trillion proposal known as the Green New Deal. So the Atlanta Journal-Constitution is covering climate and is funded by a nonprofit that only funds left-leaning causes at the national level. But not just that one, it's also funded by One Earth Fund, and One Earth Fund is also a left-leaning fund that focuses on the environmental issues from a left-leaning perspective. This is from Fox News earlier this year. A little-known environmental organization founded by the heir of a billion-dollar fortune has quietly organized large grants for local news outlets to boost climate change coverage and hire climate reporters. The North Carolina-based One Earth Fund states on its website it was funded to fund or founded to fund cost-effective communication projects that can reach audiences across the political divide. The group markets itself as a counter to disinformation campaigns funded by fossil fuel companies. While little else is publicly shared about One Earth Fund's operations, the group adds on its site that it funds projects like Connected Coastlines, a nationwide climate reporting initiative in coastal states. The project's list of partners include the New York Times, the Chicago Tribune, Boston Globe, Miami Herald, Seattle Times, and Orlando Sentinel. The Pulitzer Center, which oversees this project, supports 16 reporting projects covering climate issues. One such reporting project is titled State of Change. It's based in North Carolina. There are additional connected coastline projects in Florida, Maine, California, Louisiana, and Alaska. In addition, One Earth Fund has partnered with various nonprofit organizations to send direct grants to newsrooms throughout the Southeast, including a $65,000 grant to USA Today affiliate Wilmington News Star in North Carolina, a $50,000 grant to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution in Georgia, and a grant to the News and Observer and the Herald Sun in North Carolina. Articles published in the Winston-Salem Journal in North Carolina have also been funded by a One Earth Fund grant. One Earth Fund founder is Roy Richards Jr., current chairman of Southwire Company, a massive electrical wire and cable company that provides projects for renewable energy projects. Richards Jr.'s father founded Southwire. It's a billion-dollar company. My father-in-law, by the way, worked for that company. Newspapers that receive financial support from One Earth Fund have said the group doesn't influence their editorial judgment. That's good. But what about the Candida Fund? What about Candida? Because it seems that a lot of these stories that are covered by One Earth Fund cover renewable energies. In fact, the story with the disclaimer is one about hydrogen fuel. But then the other left-wing groups that fund these operations around the country cover climate change stories, and they tend to leave out any of the skepticism, uh, real, true, scientifically-backed skepticism. Like, for example, they're not covering the fact that a massive volcano was predicted by scientists globally to warm the Earth. 
and yet they're all covering hysterically the heat wave as if this heat wave came out of nowhere due to man-made climate change, which is what they all want to cover it as. National Public Radio covers it that way. USA Today covers it that way. The Washington Post covers it that way. The New York Times covers it that way. They're all covering it as what we're experiencing right now is the chickens coming home to roost from all the predictions over the years about man-made climate change when, in fact, the scientific community itself says, no, it's actually a volcano. And that gets me to the slave labor and the tie-in. Of all things, it's from the Financial Times. The Inflation Reduction Act was really a climate change bill. And this is from the article now. When you dig deeper, you realize the Inflation Reduction Act specifications for things like modules or solar battery cells don't account for the fact that nearly all raw polysilicon, which is traded as a commodity on the global market and thus not identified by origin, is made in China. Much of it in Xinjiang province, where it's produced by slave labor from the Uyghurs in concentration camps. In other words... Hardly any solar panel in the United States or pretty much pretty much anywhere elsewhere is clean. Not to mention, they're not produced with fair labor practices given the dominance of China in the market. So now I have to ask you all. Major media outlets are getting grants from left-leaning organizations to fund reporters to cover climate change, and they leave out key details like a volcano, and they cover renewable energy like solar panels, and they leave out key details like the overwhelming majority of solar panels and the products required to produce solar panels are made by slave labor in China. So for all of these newspaper outlets, the Los Angeles Times and others that refuse to run stories or letters to the editor or editorials by climate skeptics, they're leaving out key details to tell you the truth, that the environmentalists are pushing slave labor as a way to solve our problem. Slave labor at a time they want to lecture the United States on systemic racism and the legacy of slavery, these people are pushing slave labor to solve our problems with the environment, and they're lying and ignoring the fact that a volcano exploded in the South Pacific, and that is the number one trigger for what's going on in the world right now, and they don't want to tell you, and meanwhile, they preach against disinformation and misinformation, and they're either willfully ignoring it or lying to cover up the truth. How can you believe them on anything? including when they're funded by left-wing agitators on climate. I am a small businessman. The company that I run for my radio show, it's a small business. I've got employees. I don't have HR. You may be in that situation, and you may really need HR. Well, you may want to talk to Bambi. When running a business, your employees can create all sorts of interesting situations, and they could get you in trouble. What happens when two employees are squabbling? One of them smells bad all the time. What do you do? How do you navigate the rules? With Bambi, you get access to your own dedicated HR manager starting at just $99 a month. They're available by phone, email, real-time chat. Onboarding and terminations run smoothly. Team members reach peak performance. Your business stays compliant with changing HR regulations. Let Bambi handle your employees for you. Their HR autopilot automates important HR practices like setting policies, training, and feedback. Listen, you want 
U.S.-based HR managers who give you experience, expertise, a personal touch you need to make it seem like they're a part of your team. They can cost eighty grand a year, but Bambi starts at $99 a month. Schedule your free conversation today to see how much Bambi can take off your plate. Go to Bambi.com right now. Type in Eric Erickson under podcast when you sign up. It'll help you. It'll help your company grow. It'll help you keep peace of mind. It's spelled B-A-M-B-E-E. Bam. B-E-E.com. Bambi.com. Type in Eric Erickson. Hello. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number 877-973-7425. If you want to be on the program, by the way, uh, Proterra has bitten the dust. Speaking of the environmentalists out there, uh, Proterra is the company. Jennifer Granholm had heavily invested in Proterra. Republicans cried foul and she caught, she cashed out her stock for over a million dollars. Uh, as she was pushing this company, Republicans claimed it was a conflict of interest. So she divested Republicans wound up doing her a favor because it's filed for bankruptcy. Now, Proterra is the company Joe Biden highlighted as the company advancing our electric bus future. Proterra specialized in electric vehicle parts for uh, commuter buses. And they are putting themselves up for sale. They're f- going into bankruptcy. Uh, shares nearly have the value after the bell listed as assets and liabilities in the range of $500 million to $1 billion. It had a market value of $362 million at close in January of 2021. It was valued at $1.6 billion, including debt in a merger deal with a blank check firm. Makes electric buses and battery packs and intends to continue to operate in the ordinary course of business as it goes into restructuring. It had planned um, to do expansions in South Carolina and now probably won't. Um, Everything this administration touches goes broke, including private sector companies like Proterra. Well, we can move on now. Uh, Before we do, I want to tell you about the Eden Pure Thunderstorm. It's an air purifier. So it traps dust and pollen floating in the air. I actually... I don't use it for its air purifying capabilities. It works. Don't get me wrong. It works. But I use it because it shines as an odor eliminator. In fact, my wife and kids and I went to a um, vacation in North Georgia. We stayed at this great place we love. But the cottages all have fireplaces, and it was it was warmed up. The fireplaces have been used in the cool weather. And they were running the Eden Pure Thunderstorms to eliminate the smoke odors in the, in the rooms, and it worked fantastic. The room smelled fresh and clean thanks to the Eden Pure Thunderstorm. You can get a three-pack for less than $200. So you get one for upstairs, downstairs, your basement, your travel bag. I keep one in my travel bag because they're small and handy, and for rental car stinks or uh, hotel room stinks. They just work. You can put it in your RV, wherever you need it. Get three of them, less than $200. You go to EdenPureDeals.com. EdenPureDeals.com. You see the discount code box on the front page of that site? Put in Eric, E-R-I-C-K. You'll get three of them for less than $200. You're saving $200 and you get free shipping. All you have to do again, go to EdenPureDeals.com. Use the discount code Eric, E-R-I-C-K, at EdenPureDeals.com. Get three Eden Pure Thunderstorms for less than $200. Clean and deodorize your air. Did you know China has made it a priority to teach students financial literacy starting in preschool? Financial literacy isn't taught in our elementary schools, and parents lack the resources to teach it at home. American kids are yet again being left behind. 
Now there's a great way for parents and grandparents to help the kids they love learn about finance, thanks to the Sensibles. And at bcs-kids.com, the Sensibles are a team of animated superheroes who help kids age 6 to 12 develop smart money habits in a fun way. bcs-kids.com was created to channel this multimedia resource to kids everywhere. Buy a subscription for your loved ones, and each month, they'll get a Sensibles kit in the mail with an entertaining DVD, comic book, and activities. Digital subscriptions are also available. They'll also get access to an interactive website with a library of lessons, fun activities, and more. Want 20% off the monthly subscription costs? Visit at bcs-kids.com. Enter the promo code ERIC, my name, E-R-I-C-K. It's the sensible thing to do. Subscribe today at bcs-kids.com. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here uh, across the United States of America. Delighted to have you with me. The phone number is 877-973-7425 should you wish to be on the program. I want to dive into uh, an issue I talked a little bit about yesterday, but it's becoming a thing. Uh, This is from... Uh, The Blaze. Um, Florida is poised to become the first state to embrace the unwoke classic learning test for public college admissions. It comes down to a vote by the state university system of Florida's Board of Governors later this month after Republican Governor Ron DeSantis ratified legislation in May authorizing school districts to select the classical learning test as an alternative to the SAT or ACT for administration to public school students in grade 11. As with many initiatives that harken back to the West's once and future cultural greatness or inspire confidence in the tradition of America's forebearers, critics have suggested that it is problematic to place emphasis on Western and European thought. Julian Vasquez Heilig, provost and vice president of Western Michigan University, has suggested that classical education is really a wolf in sheep's clothing, adding that it's about using selective Western thinkers to foment a specific moral ideology. Other critics suggest it's part of an attempt by Florida Republicans to reshape the state's education system, basing it more on conservative teachings. Like the SAT and ACT standardized tests, the CLT launched in 2015 and used early on by homeschooling families, assesses students' reading, grammar, and math skills, emphasizing foundational reading skills. Besides consisting of only 120 questions and taking two hours to complete, The test differs greatly from others in that it focuses on meaningful pieces of literature. The Tampa Bay Times reported the test is rooted in the classical education model, focusing on the centrality of the Western tradition. Jeremy Tate, the founder and president of the CLT, told the Florida Standard that the College Board, which administers the SAT, is a pretty radical organization. They don't try to hide it. They're very much one-sided politically. Most of the source material leans heavily into 20th century progressives, and they really ignore the Western intellectual tradition. Rather than cramming in preparation for an engagement with the writ of middling leftist intellectualists and literary unknown, students who take the CLT are exposed to Aristotle and uh, Plutarch, Thomas Aquinas, Geoffrey Chaucer, as well as people like Thomas Jefferson. The stated purpose of the test is to reconnect knowledge and virtue by providing meaningful assessments and connections to seekers of truth, goodness, and beauty. 
Clay Daniel, who's the founder of Claiborne Test Prep and Tutoring, told Best Colleges, quote, it doesn't feel like you're just taking a multiple choice test because in the process, you're comparing Plato and the Federalist Papers and really thinking about the interplay between the two. It's kind of a rich experience taking the test, which isn't something that you normally associate with standardized tests. CLT notes on its site that standardized tests provides an invaluable opportunity to engage students with the texts and authors that have shaped history and culture. Now, 100,000 of the tests have been administered so far. 200 colleges and universities accept the CLT, including Hillsdale College, Baylor University Honors College, John Brown University. Many of the schools are religiously oriented. So I want to talk a little bit about this. You're going to start hearing this more, uh, what is classical education? And I was not familiar with it until we enrolled our kids in a classical education school, and I'm impressed with it. So they talk a lot about the trivium. People who are, you need to understand that the people who are into classical education are really into classical education. And they get really excited about something called the trivium. <laughs> so the trivium is how you divide up um, uh, classes. So you, you have the grammar school, which typically is K through four. And then you have the logic school, which typically is five through eight. And then you have the rhetoric school, which is nine through 12. You would know it as high school. So elementary, middle, and high school, except it's called grammar school and then the logic school and the rhetoric school. What you do in uh, K through four is you accumulate facts and knowledge. In other words, you are doing the very basics that you did in elementary school. You're memorizing. You memorize a ton. You memorize your multiplication tables. You memorize basic facts. You memorize years and dates and people and places and things and events. You do all the memorization. You learn what happened. So my son, we transferred him to his previous school uh, into this classical education school he goes to towards the, the end of the year uh, when he was in third grade, and they were having Greek and Roman Day. The school had spent the entire third grade year immersing the kids in the world of Greece and Rome. They learned Greek and Roman mythology. They learned about the operations of government, the differences between the Greek democracy and the Roman Republic and how things worked and the militaries and the military strategies and how they fought and how the Romans became dominant because of their use of battlefield techniques that differed from everyone else and how they were able to spread across civilization and how they were able to build and the knowledge they acquired and the knowledge they spread. They did all this and it was basically memorizing all these cool things and then in grades five through eight, you go from memorizing a bunch of stuff and acquiring knowledge to critical reasoning skills. You take all the stuff you memorize and you compare it and you challenge the facts you memorize, which one actually worked better. And you learn to debate and discuss these topics together instead of just memorizing the stuff. And then you get to the high school and you're learning how to give speeches you're learning how to pose tough questions. You're learning how to argue back with teachers on, on critical skills, not argue in a hostile way, but but be able to challenge the teachers. The teacher challenges you. You actually have to take logic classes. You have to learn uh, what fallacies are. You have to learn the different um, debate styles, things like that. And, and it becomes 
a you, you base it all on the canons of classical literature and the history of civilization. So you learn a lot about the Greek and the Romans because Western civilization is really premised on the Greek and Romans. You learn about Aristotle and you learn about Plato. You learn about the Renaissance. You, you learn art based on the evolution of art in the Western society. So you learn about uh, medieval art in art class and, and what it looks like and uh, how the Renaissance changed things, how the Enlightenment changed things, how the Impressionists changed things. And as the art evolved, how the thinking of society evolved, it all plays together. And, and so the idea that you come away with is how intellectual traditions grow and change and art and culture around the intellectual traditions grow and change, and you become much more well-rounded. So you've read the great works of the classics. It's like a great books program for college, but it's at the elementary and secondary level. And one of the things that you also do in a classical education school is you avoid education fads. So, for example, uh, in classical education schools, they have always taught phonics. Why have they always taught phonics? Because that's the way phonic, that's the way reading has always been taught up until the 1970s when we got into this whole word approach where kids were taught to memorize whole words and put them together. Now, you over time see this in math as well. When I was in third grade, like my kid in third grade had to memorize the multiplication tables. And the way you memorize the multiplication tables is we literally sat in Ms. Bruscus's class, my third grade teacher, and she played a record. Yes, an actual vinyl record. And it was two plus two is four, two, or two times two is four, two times three is six, two times four is eight, two times five is 10, and you memorize this. And you did it for nine weeks we did this. And at the end of the week, we had to be able to recite the whole thing. That's literally the way we did it is an entire week you listen to the two times tables on the record, and then the three, and then the four, and then the five, and the six, all the way up to nine. She said, at, at 10, it's easy, it's irrelevant, you, you, you can do the single digits, you can do the double digits, so we stopped after nine. You had to memorize them. And at the end of the week, before you went to recess, every kid had to stand up and be able to recite. Two times two is four, two times three is six, two times five is 10, Two times six is 12, two times seven is 14, two times eight is 16, and then all the way up. You had to memorize them. And then once you memorize them, you began to apply them. Well, now you do still memorize your times tables to a degree, but you memorize them a lot by doing the addition in your head. So two times three is six, so that's two plus two is four plus two is six. And you, you learn it that way. You learn how to add and, and the addition and the multiplication. There's no memorization process. And Common Core over time has changed things in the way you do math. Common Core for reading is basically the accelerated reader program. You just read as many books on your grade level as possible and take tests on them uh, at the end of every week. And you get awards. The more you read, the better you do. But you always are incentivized to read the dumbest, shortest book so that you can read as many as possible. As opposed to my kid is having to read Anna Karenina in her senior year of school. And over time, particularly if you're in a classical education school that has a Christian component, in elementary school, you argue over things that are true and truth. 
And this is why this aspect of it is why so many people on the left hate classical education, because one of the core components of classical education is that there is real truth and that truth matters most and that what is true is objective. And we live in a day and age now where so many people are taught in education that what is true for you may not be true for someone else. Classical education argues that foundationally there's truth. And you spend your first four years trying to figure out what does it mean by something being true. And you uh, you take all the facts you memorize. These are true facts that you memorize. You accumulate those facts. You memorize those facts. You recite those facts. And you talk about those facts as they are true things. When you get into middle school, you start debating are they good or bad things? Is it right or wrong? And so there's a moral component to the truth. Is it good or is it bad? We have to assess. And then when you get into high school, then you start having the greater arguments about beauty. What is beauty? What is good? What is true? What is beautiful? Is the truth beautiful or ugly? If the truth is right, does it have some inherent beauty to it? You, you argue about these things philosophically. You engage in the Socratic questioning of the students like you do in a law school setting. It's very academically rigorous. You have to learn Latin uh, in school because Latin is the root of so many English words. So that along with phonics goes together. This is classical education. It's the way 100 years ago kids in this country were taught. Now, the reason the left hates this is because there's not a lot of room for indoctrination of left-wing causes because left-wing ideology is premised so much in uh, moral relativism. You can't say Western civilization is better than Oriental civilization or Eastern civilization. You can't say that. You can't say uh, that the Roman civilization is superior to the Southeast Asian civilizations of the same time period. You're not allowed to say that. It's moral relativism. Classical education stakes out the, the, the idea that we are of the West. We are of the Greek and Roman order of things. We believe it is superior, and you can look at the advancement of countries around the world and see it as so. And I think, frankly, they're right. European civilization did advance faster than others, probably because Western civilization, Western ideas, Western thinking were dominant and superior over time. That's not a racist thing to say, except the left thinks it is these days, that Western civilization is superior. It is. I, I think inarguably it is. And it's also derived, I think, from the spread of Christianity. And all of this is encompassed in classical education. And what you find over time is kids who went to classical schools get to college and they're better reasoners, they're better thinkers, they're better arguers, they're better debaters, and they've also had traditional math and they tend to advance in math more. Saxon math, which is a core component for a lot of it, actually a lot of kids who do Saxon math don't do as well on the SAT. But when they get to college, they perform much better in calculus and trigonometry because they've had real traditional math. They've advanced in a better program. This is classical education. Now, I give you this entire dissertation on it because you need to know in Florida, the Florida legislature and the governor are looking more and more at moving towards classical education. And so as you can imagine, the left now thinks classical education is a terrible, awful thing because Ron DeSantis likes it. It doesn't care what it's about. They don't understand it. They don't want to know about it. They just know that if conservatives like it, it must be bad. And so you're about to hear an entire media operation in this country vilify classical education, which has helped so many kids and is grounded in the idea that there are real true things 
not moral relativism, which we need more of now anyway. If you can find a classical education school for your kids, I highly recommend it. I also highly recommend Vision Computers for your kids. If you need a back-to-school laptop, desktop, or you need it for your business, Vision Computer can build the computer for your kid or for your business, saving you some money, making it better, upgrade, building you what you actually need and want as opposed to just the generic big-box store computer for everybody. They get you what you need and you want, and then they're the tech support. Now, listen, I I talk about building the computers because I'm fascinated with building PCs. But it's the tech support that is incredible because anywhere in the country, if you call 404-COMPUTE and work with Vision Computers, they can service your computers remotely wherever you are in the country for the most part, help you with email setup, with printer support, all that. If you do Vision Computers, call them at 404-COMPUTE and let them build the computers for your company, all of your employees get the computers they want and need. You can Buy them all the the standard build if you want or get them for whatever their needs are. But then they have a phone number they can call, and Vision actually answers the phone. You're not in phone waiting hell. You just actually get someone on the other end of the phone. You say, I'm having a problem with email or whatnot, and they can walk you through it. They're skillful at that. Many times remote in, their tech support is world class. You don't need an IT department. Vision Computer saves you money. They take care of it for you. Call them 404-COMPUTER, visioncomputers.com. 404-COMPUTE, anywhere in this nation, they can help you. 404-COMPUTE. By the way, uh, you know, well, I haven't in the last two days, I haven't actually sent out my morning email. Actually, a a buddy of mine texted me and says, are you okay? I've been swamped getting ready for the gathering next week. Uh, I haven't done uh, daily emails. I will tomorrow. And if you want a 15% discount on an annual subscription, if you text data, D-A-T-A, text data to 33777, follow that link and subscribe. Uh, I'll be sending stuff out tomorrow. And of course, We'll be sending a lot of exclusive stuff out to the subscribers next week when we have the gathering. We're going to have a great time uh, in Atlanta at the Grand Hyatt Atlanta. We've got uh, Mike Pence coming. we got Nikki Haley coming, Tim Scott, Ron DeSantis, uh, Vivek, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, uh, Chris Christie's coming, Glenn Youngkin, the governor of Virginia, is going to be there, Brian Kemp, the governor of Georgia, Rich McCormick, the congressman's going to be there, Chip Roy, the congressman's going to be there. Uh, it will be a great time. Uh, it starts Thursday night, goes all day Friday and Saturday. I hope I'll have a voice when I get back in the chair that Monday morning because most of the uh, stage will be conversations with me. Uh, and it, it gets to my pet peeve of I just I want to ask these people why you're running and what sets you apart as opposed to being combative with them. Let them, let them speak. Uh, that's what I want to do, and it takes place next week in Atlanta.